Lots of channels, nothing to watch, especially if you're searching for the truth. It's time to interrupt your regularly scheduled programs with something actually worth watching. Salem News Channel, straightforward, unfiltered, with in-depth insight and analysis from the greatest collection of conservative minds like Hugh Hewitt, Mike Gallagher, Sebastian Gorka, and more. Find truth. Watch 24-7 on SNC.TV and on Local Now, Channel 525. It's the parable of the Good Samaritan, next on Abounding Grace. One of the more well-read parables found here in Luke, chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. It's the parable of the Good Samaritan. Now, we'll spend the next couple of broadcasts focusing our attention on this parable and the significance for you and I. So won't you join us? From Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose, let's take a close, familiar look at a very familiar parable. Here's Pastor Gary Wagner with today's broadcast of Abounding Grace. Today, the title of my sermon is The Parable of the Good Samaritan. During this phase of Jesus' life, The hostility of the Jewish leaders against him was increasing. They were continually looking for ways to discredit him and find reasons to arrest him. And as you know, they were always asking him trick questions to see if he would say something that would get him condemned or to see if he would say something that would turn the crowds against him. And that's the situation in our text. As Jesus travels to Jerusalem to die, an expert in Old Testament law, someone who was a lawyer in those days, quite unlike most today, excluding a few like our brother Kevin, someone who was a lawyer in those days approaches him and asks him the way to eternal life. Now, of course, he wasn't asking sincerely. He wasn't asking because he was really interested in how Jesus would explain it. Our text says, And a certain lawyer stood up and put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He was hoping to trap Jesus by maneuvering him into contradicting this law of Moses, that he thought he knew so well. But Jesus was far more skilled at maneuvering and controlling situations than this lawyer. So he turned the question back into the lawyer's face, and in verse 26 he says, in effect, good question. How do you think the Bible answers that question? And then the lawyer gave the right answer by quoting Deuteronomy 6.5 and Leviticus 9.18. In verse 27, the lawyer says, here is the answer from the Bible. You shall love your God, your Lord, your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and thy neighbor as yourself. In other words, love 
is the way to life. Then Jesus deliberately embarrasses this lawyer, making him realize that Jesus, not he, was fully in control of the situation. In verse 28, Jesus said, you're right. You hit the nail right on the head. The way to life is loving God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and loving your neighbor as yourself. And as Calvin said, beloved, that means turning your life inside out. It doesn't mean loving yourself first and then loving your neighbor. It means loving your neighbor with all of the intensity and time and energy that you once gave to loving yourself. You're right, Mr. Lawyer. Now do this, and you will have eternal life. Well, the lawyer felt the bite of Jesus' exhortation. He knew that he didn't fully, every second of his life, love the Lord his God with all of his heart, soul, strength, and mind. He knew that he was not always with all of his energy, loving his neighbor as himself. So he attempted to avoid, to avoid the full demand of Jesus' statement by saying in verse 29, Well, who is my neighbor? Who am I supposed to love anyway? Now Luke, our author, makes clear the motive behind the question in verse 29 with his comment, Wishing to justify himself wishing to get out of the full demand of Jesus' statement so he could congratulate himself by saying, I have done what you have told me to do. Now, this attitude was typical of many of the Jewish leaders of Jesus' day. Remember the story of the Pharisee and the publican in Luke chapter 18? It begins in verse 9. And he also told this parable to certain ones who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. They tried to justify themselves. In other words, so the picture that the gospel writers paint of the scribes and the Pharisees and the rabbis of the first century is a very negative one. Remember, rather than wanting to be justified by God through faith in Jesus as the Messiah, they wanted to justify themselves with God by living lives of good works. Now, if you read some books that are hot sellers in Christian bookstores today, they've tried to reevaluate the rabbinical Judaism of the first century and say that for the past 400 years, Presbyterians and Baptists and most Protestants, actually, have gotten it all wrong. We've been anti-Semitic. We've been attributing wrong motives to the scribes and the Pharisees, they say, when in reality, Paul was the model of justification and salvation for them. And they didn't believe in actually trying to merit salvation by works. They believed that salvation was by grace, but you had to keep saved by good works. Listen, beloved, just read your Bible. The Bible says that these lawyers, these scribes and Pharisees, were always trying to justify themselves and do what was required of them with the hope that by their obedience, they could be justified, they could be saved. 
These Jewish leaders also, being devoted to salvation by works, believed that they only had to love those people they chose to love. That's the way they could justify themselves. Well, I'm already doing that. Hey, I'm loving other Jews. I'm being a good neighbor to my select circle of friends. I'm loving and being kind and gracious to those whom I consider to deserve my love. We are loving our neighbors, and our neighbors are those who are like us. Their religion at heart was self-centered, doing good to other people who did good to them. Non-Jews, well, don't worry about them like the Samaritans. They're our enemies, so we don't have to be nice to them. We can really hate them. Now, what's going on in this conversation between Jesus and this expert of Old Testament law? Jesus answers the lawyer's question as to what he must do to inherit eternal life by saying that he must give God a life of Perfect love with all of his heart, not just part of it. Perfect love. If you want to inherit eternal life, love God with all of your being. Don't leave any part out. Love your neighbor as yourself with the entirety of your person. All the time, with all of your energy. And then you'll inherit eternal life. You see, Jesus is taking into consideration the prevailing view among the rabbis of that day. That a person's future and a person's acceptance with God and a person's salvation are all based to one degree or another on that person's obedience to the law of God. And as a result of that view, they were always looking for ways to relax what the law of God demanded of them. And beloved, we're still trying to find ways to relax the laws of God today. You know, God doesn't mind if I miss church for work or if I'm too tired to be there. He he knows I love Him. God understands that I have too many bills and I can't tithe. You know, my schedule is really too busy and I just can't have family worship. But God knows where my heart is. I just don't have time to read scripture. I've got school and work, and I've got to have time for myself. We are trying to relax the laws of God continually and make deals with God to justify our disobedience and think that our lives are really okay. And then we wonder, what's happening when our life gets off kilter and we face problem after problem? But if you believe your acceptance with God is dependent to one degree or another upon how well you obey the law of God, then, brother, you're going to look for every way you can to get out of obeying the law of God and relax its demands upon you. And that's what this young lawyer is trying to do. But what Jesus says to this man is this. If you're determined to have eternal life by keeping God's law, You must obey that law in all of its detail perfectly with no infractions and with nothing less than a love for God and man that completely fills your heart and fills your life. And then you'll inherit eternal life. There's your answer. 
Love God with all your heart all the time. Love your neighbor as yourself all of the time. And that way of life in obedience to God's law of love will earn you eternal life. Not possible, my friends. Jesus not only addresses this parable to this young man, but he addresses it to us today. The prevailing religion in the United States, and I believe all over the world, is the religion of this young first century man. You can summarize the religion of most Americans today, as well as most all other religions of the world this way. We must do something to win God's favor. You know, at the end of life, there's going to be a set of scales. And if my good deeds outweigh my bad deeds, I'm in. But if my bad deeds outweigh my good deeds, I'm out. You know, my friends, I've had that illustration given to me so many times. And everyone who uses it expects to end up with more good deeds than bad deeds. And yet the Bible says there is absolutely nothing on the good deed side for any of us. For all of our righteousness is as filthy rags. And Jesus says, do you want to play that game? Okay, there can't be anything on the bad deed side if that's the way you expect to get into heaven. Everything has to be on the good side. If you want to inherit eternal life, love God all the time with all your heart, never let up. And love your neighbor as yourself all the time and never let up. And you're in. Jesus answered the young man by saying, you are perfectly correct in your answer. Now all you have to do is live up to your answer and you'll inherit eternal life. And then Jesus says four little words. Do this and live. Now that's a simple little sentence. But there's a problem with that sentence for this lawyer. The word do is in the present tense there in Greek. Oh, if he had only put it in the aorist tense. Oh, if he would have said it in something other than the present tense. Because in the present tense in Greek, it denotes continuous action. That's the problem with these four little words. Do this and once and you'll live. Love God with all your heart once. Love your neighbor as yourself once and you're in like Flynn. No, Jesus is saying do this all the time, continuously, every second of your life. Fill your life with white heat love for God and man, and you'll inherit eternal life. Well, that was a problem. Keep doing this without a single break and you'll live forever. One break will bring divine condemnation and death, for the wages of sin is death. You see, Jesus wanted this man to see the fatal mistake of his entire religion of thinking he could do whatever it took to get right with God. The point he is making is that God's law never was intended to offer a sinner a way to be saved by keeping it. And because this young man believed he could, 
He thought he had to work hard and find ways to justify his partial and incomplete obedience to the precepts of the law of God. Now, surely this lawyer had previously heard Jesus. Surely he had heard him preach. Surely he had heard Jesus say what the real way to eternal life is. Oh, if you obey the law perfectly and love God with all your heart and your neighbor as yourself, you'll inherit the kingdom of God. But you can't do it. Because of that, Jesus asked, Do you want to know the way to life? I'll tell you the way to life. It's pure and it's simple. You remember what I talked about last week? Come unto me, all ye that are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in spirit, and you shall find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. That's the way to life. Come unto me. I am the life, he said in effect. Believe in me. Rest in me alone, all ye who are weary and heavy laden. All of you are wearing yourselves out by trying to earn salvation. Remember the point we saw last week? The scribes and the Pharisees were loading the people down with heavy loads, laws and regulations that have to be followed if one is to be saved. You have to merit it, they said. You have to earn salvation to get it. They were wearing themselves out to get it, and they were heavy, laden, and weary. And Jesus said to those of you who are wearing yourselves out by trying to earn favor with God, forget all of that. Come to me. Rest upon me. Believe that I'm doing everything that needs to be done to save you from your sins and to make you right with God. Believe that God has given me everything you need as a sinner to be saved and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Remember the word yoke means the sum total of the demands of God's law. Jesus said if you want to be delivered from this heaviness and weariness that the Jewish leaders want to place on you, You've got to come to me and place your head in my yoke and surrender yourself to live by God's law. Now, that is a part of the law of the rabbis that they want to place you under, minus their interpretation, plus the Talmud and extra-biblical concepts. But Jesus says, I want you to live by God's law alone, which you can only do if you surrender yourself to me. And then it will be easier and lighter because you will have the ability for the first time to obey by my grace. Obeying my law to earn salvation is not possible for sinful man who is dead in his sins. But once you come to me in faith, you will not only have the ability to obey, but you will want to obey to please me. Because I will fill you with the Holy Spirit. Before, when you tried to obey the law of God, everything in you said no. And you resisted it and it aggravated the sin in your life. But now, when you hear the law of God from the lips of the Lord Jesus Christ, you say, yes, that's what I want. That's how I want to live. 
Jesus made it perfectly clear. Oh, if you love God perfectly and obey his commands perfectly, you'll get to heaven. But you won't be able to do it. You can't do it on your own. You're dead in your trespasses and sin, and the wages of sin is death. And all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There is only one way to salvation. There's only one way to inherit eternal life, and Jesus says, come to me. Quit trying to get to God on your own, and I'll give you real rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly of heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. But this lawyer was unwilling to accept Jesus' offer. He was still trying to justify himself and persisted in trying to earn his salvation by good deeds and by limiting the demands of Jesus' statement. Recognizing that Jesus has hit the standard too high for him, he looks for some way to lower that standard and hoping that Jesus would limit those he must love. He says, well, who is my neighbor? You see, the problem was at this point in time that there, were a great, there was a great influx of Samaritans and Romans into that area. Surely Jesus isn't saying, I have to love them. They're not at all like me. Jesus, who is my neighbor? Tell me something good that will comfort me. And Jesus outmaneuvers the lawyer by refusing, refusing to actually answer his question. Did you notice that? He doesn't answer the lawyer's question, who is my neighbor? The answer actually is by means of a parable. And that surely shocked this lawyer. Because the Jews hated the Samaritans. And the hero of the story is what they considered a filthy, half-breed Samaritan. It was shocking to this lawyer because Jesus wants him to ask a different kind of question than he asked. Jesus' point is, if a person is living a life of love, he will not have to ask who his neighbor is. To whom am I to act as a good neighbor? You see, he asked, who is my neighbor? And if you notice at the end of the parable, Jesus asks, which one proves to be the neighbor? Lawyer, you're asking the wrong question. Who's my neighbor? Ask rather, whose neighbor am I? So Jesus gave the lawyer no comfort at all. Now, one thing I want you to notice about the scribes and the Pharisees of Jesus' day, they loved religious discussions and debate. They were always involved in some kind of theological and ethical debate. They were always discussing and debating the extent of the law's demand, theology, the practical problems related to suffering and obedience. They loved lengthy theological discussions about the social problems of that day. But they did nothing about those problems except discuss them. Does that sound familiar? Remember from last week? Matthew 23, verses 2 through 4. 
The scribes and Pharisees have seated themselves in the chair of Moses. Therefore, all that they tell you, do observe, but do not according to their deeds. For they say things and do not do them, and they tie up heavy loads and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves are unwilling to move them with so much as a finger. I call upon us as Calvinists and as Reformed people who love theological discussion, who love to debate the small, fine points of the theology and ethics, Are we like the scribes and the Pharisees? We love to discuss all these problems. Why people aren't Christians? Why our brothers believe the wrong things? Why the world is like it is? Whether reconstruction is true or not? How are we going to bring about the reformation of America? We love to talk about these things. Read books about these things. But is that all we do? Is discuss and debate? Or is there some practical involvement in our lives of putting these things that we believe into action? Well, that's all the time we have today. This has been Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. If you'd like to review today's broadcast, we would invite you to contact us for a copy of the program. They're available for just $5. Mention today's date and we'll send a CD your way. Here's where to write to us. PMB number 402, 1484 Pollard Road. That's in Los Gatos, California. The zip code is 95032. Again, that's PMB number 402, 1484 Pollard Road. Los Gatos, California, 95032 is that address. Our phone number, if you'd rather call, 408-866-5607. That's 408-866-5607. Our website is reformedheritage.org, and if you'd like to join us for worship, Sunday services are at 2 p.m. We meet at the Lone Hill Church on 5055 Lone Hill Road in Los Gatos. Directions at our website, reformedheritage.org, or again, call 408-866-5607. Thank you for joining us today. We look forward to seeing you next time we get together.